In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When our Heavenly Father created the heavens and the earth, he put two great lights in the sky. One light, the sun, lights the day. The other light, the moon, lights the night. One gives off light and heat because it is a miasma of incandescent plasma. And the other gives off light because the sun shines on it. Where the sun does not shine on the moon, it is dark and forlorn. Some of you may remember the first pictures of the dark side of the moon from Apollo 8 as it orbited the moon around Christmas time of 1968. You probably remember seeing those pictures of what it looks like in an area where the sun does not shine. As there are two great lights in the sky, so there are two great lights in the Christian church, the law and the gospel. Unlike the sun and the moon, both of whom are easily distinguishable, the law and the gospel are not as easily distinguishable. It's very easy to confuse both law and gospel and to try to make one great light out of two. When we try to make that one great light, all we get is a ball of confusion rather than a ball of light. Even Martin Luther admitted he had trouble distinguishing law and gospel. He said in a sermon that he preached on New Year's Day in 1532 these words, Whoever knows well this art of dividing the law from the gospel should be given a place at the front of the room and be called a doctor of Holy Scripture. For it is impossible to make this distinction without the Holy Spirit. He continues, I experience in myself and I see every day in others how hard it is to separate the doctrines of the law and the gospel from one another. In this, the Holy Spirit has to be the master and teacher, or no person on earth would be able to understand or teach the distinction. The Pharisees this morning certainly could use the Holy Spirit in their conversation with our Lord in Matthew chapter 22. They come to him with an important question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? As you heard from the lawyer's mouth in Luke chapter 10, so we hear today from our Lord Jesus the answer to their question. Love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our Lord then adds that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now it's right here where the confusion of law and gospel come into play. We think that love is something easy to do. After all, all we have to do is say it. I love God. I love my neighbor. Done and done. The Lord God, however, is looking for far more than lip service to himself and to your neighbor. The Lord wants to see the condition of your heart when you say these words. Do you, so to speak, put your money where your mouth is when it comes to love? And there's more. Are you willing to back that love of yours with deeds of love to your Lord and to your neighbor? Ah, you say again, done and done. That was easy. What you've just done, however, is make one confusing miasma of plasma out of two clear, distinct lights. 
Our Heavenly Father does not tolerate making a mistake when it comes to love. In the archery game that is life, when you draw back the compound bow and aim at the target, you better hit the bullseye dead on the first time. And not only that, when you draw back the second bow, you better split the first bow with the second bow. And you pull a third bow back, and you better split that second bow with your third bow. And you better never miss, even by a millimeter. Because if you do, you have fallen short. Our Heavenly Father expects perfection, you see, every time. Perfect love to God, perfect love to our neighbor. You miss doing it once and you're dead. Not just dead spiritually, but dead physically for all eternity. You can't simply will this perfect love because your human nature is shattered in sin. What was once the image and likeness of God implanted in you by the creator is now a shambles of its former self. So broken that you cannot, like a jigsaw puzzle, put all the pieces of the puzzle back together again and glue them just so and say, oh look, doesn't that look pretty? Oh no, it's still shattered and there's glue all over the place too. But the Pharisees, oh, they think they can. And so do you and I. If we only reinterpreted God's law to make it easier to keep. Now that's a trap that pastors like me often fall into when we write sermons or when we deal with you in one-on-one pastoral care. We preachers have to fight the urge to yank out the law's teeth and gum you to death with a keepable law that does not kill. For example, Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead in order to give you the power not to steal, not to lie, not to kill, not to covet, not to commit adultery, and so on. You can do it! No, you can't. Because you'll get up from these pews today and go home or go someplace else and I don't even think you'll probably get home and you'll be thinking about one of these things. And it's not because I put the post-hypnotic suggestion in you. You will think about these things. That's human nature. So you're not going to be able to split that second arrow with the bow. And then sometimes we pastors say, well, maybe someday you'll get better at it. And every day you get a little bit better at it to the point where one day you can go, oh yeah, I remember that day, August 19th, 2025. That's the day I stopped sinning. (laughs) No, no, no. What you end up looking like is a person that walks around going like this all the time. And it's the typical view of the Christian by those who are outside of the realm of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. The self-righteous, smug, hypocritical Christians who spend their time wagging their finger about, don't do this, don't do that, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at all of the wonderful things that I do. And the minute we get caught up in a sin and it becomes very public, they're like, well, look, who's the hypocrite now? The law, you see, beloved, preaches repentance, not being a holier-than-thou self-righteous do-gooder. And perhaps you're beginning to see why people who are outside of the realm of faith see us this way. This business of mixing the law and gospel becomes this thing. I don't know if I coined it or if I steal it from somebody. It's called gospel. 
G-L-A-W-S-P-E-L. It is an obscure light that is neither bright nor dark. It is a trumpet sound that is neither tonal nor atonal. It's noise. When Christians hear gospel, it either makes them smug in their sin and secure, or it scares them to death because God seems to have left their salvation partially or in full in their own hands, and we don't know what to do with it. The gospel life, beloved, is torture because you will never believe whether or not you are spared from the eternally burning lake of fire. Jesus today tries to turn off the gospel light of obscurity among the Pharisees by asking them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Ask yourself that question. You might find yourself caught in not a dilemma, but a trilemma. And not an either-or situation, but one of three prongs off a triangle, so to speak. The author C.S. Lewis once wrote about this trilemma, a three-way situation, when he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about our Lord. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept this claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Lewis continues, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. That's the trilemma. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Now, before you answer our Savior's question today, consider the next question that he asks after reciting a portion of Psalm 110. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? The Pharisees went dumb as a post. They were not able to answer him. In fact, they never again asked him another question. They remained silent because they knew the answer. They are students of the scriptures. The whole reason there is a Pharisees is somebody had to explain the law of God to God's people who had forgotten the law through the years. So these guys were created to explain everything. And the way that they explained it, unfortunately, locked out this man, Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, from Nazareth. Locked him out as the Lord, as Messiah. Oh yeah, they said he's, he's from the lineage of David. Of course, we'll give him that because he has, he's bona fide. 
but they will not say any more than that he is of the lineage in the house of David. They will not say that he is God's only begotten son. They are not willing to confess the truth. It is they who are the liars and the lunatics, for they know the truth, yet they will not believe it. You believe Jesus Christ is David's son and David's Lord because the bright light of the gospel has shined on you to reveal to you the answer. Our Lord reveals himself to be the end of the law. You are not able to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as he demands. Another must love God and your neighbor for you. That another is Christ Jesus, the son of David, the incarnate word, who reveals the love of God in his wounded hands and side, in his bleeding and dying for your sin, in his triumphant resurrection from the dead, stomping the head of Satan and setting captives like you and me free. When you stare into the light of Christ, unlike when you stare into the sun, I don't recommend it. You'll go blind. When you stare into the light of Christ, you don't go blind. You see, clearly see, God's mercy for sinners. You see God's plan of rescue and his one-way, undeserved love for his creation. You see that David's son, yes, is David's Lord, and he's my Lord too. You don't see another Moses. You don't see another prophet saying, hey, Messiah's coming one of these days, so pay attention, straighten up, and fly right. You see Messiah himself. Son among us to save us. You don't see a gospel giver who comes to confuse the faithful. You see the good news, long promised to both Jew and Gentile in the flesh. There are two lights, not one in the church. Don't be tortured. Don't torture yourself into believing otherwise. One light is not that bright. It shows your sin, yes, and your need for a savior. And it reflects the light of Christ and shines on you so that you may shine on others. But this lesser light cannot save you. Only the greater light of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus alone, only this light saves you from everlasting death and brings you into the heavenly mansions. The great light of the gospel, beloved, does not show Jesus as either a liar or a lunatic. It shows Jesus as Lord, David's son, David's Lord, your Lord, my Lord. He is your salvation. He is your gladsome light of God the Father's face. Behold him and you live. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.